0: Great to see you today. Just so you're aware, we've just finished a series on Sunday mornings looking at King David, and that series is now all available for free download on the web, so uh, make the most of that facility. Typically, the week after the services are recorded here on Sundays, you can get them on the web for free. Please make the most of that, and also it gives you a chance if you want to recommend things you've heard to your friends, that you think, oh, someone would benefit from that, recommend them the MP3, you know, point them in the right direction, and that will help them. This week, we have with us the most influential person who ever was—the sort of person that will motivate you to make a difference with your life in in a way that no one else could. This person—I don't know anyone who's performed or seen more miracles than this particular person. His name is Jesus Christ, and here to tell you all about him is myself. (laughs) So let's uh, open up our Bibles and into Mark's Gospel. And that's where we're going to be going for this, probably for this next year, Mark's Gospel. If the only they made Gospels shorter or years longer, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to talk to you, my title today is, Why Trials and Temptations? It was a small town prosecuting attorney called his first witness to the stand on a trial. This isn't Mark's Gospel incidentally, okay? Just in case you're thinking, is this the living Bible? Is this the message? What is this? And it, the first witness was an old lady. She was a grandmother. She sat down in the, in the stall or seat or whatever you call it. And the, the lawyer approached her and, she sa- and he said, Mrs. Jones, do you know who I am? She responded, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you talk behind their backs, you think you're a big shot. But you haven't got the brains to realize that you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was absolutely stunned. On the spur of the moment, he said, so, do you know him? And he points to the other lawyer. (laughs) Mrs. Jones turns to the other lawyer and says, yep, I know Mr. Bradley too. I used to babysit for him when he was a youngster, and I know his parents. He too has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted, He's got a drink problem, and he can't keep any normal relationships intact. And anyone in his law firm will tell you it's the shoddiest firm in the entire state. Yeah, I know him. At that point, the whole courtroom is going to be him. And the judge brought order back and called the two lawyers to the front. And he said in a very stern voice, If either of you asks her if she knows me, <laughs> I will put you in jail for contempt of court. Mrs. Jones, welcome to our service today. Trials, they happen to us all. Hopefully not that kind of trials. Some of us. But trials and temptations, they happen to us all. Everyone faces the big challenges in life. Some people come through a challenge in life, and it's like they're stronger for it. They're bigger in the inside. They're up for the challenge. They're ready. It made them. Other people go through an identical challenge, and it breaks them. It gives them long-term hurts. It makes them wonder, well, does God forgotten me. The identical trial can either make or break some person. If you go into a trial or a situation like that, a time of temptation, a time of high pressure, and it seems purposeless, then you know what? It's hard to get through something that's purposeless. If things are going on in your life and you think, where's the purpose? Then you're going to struggle. And the likelihood is you're going to come out hurt. Hence the title today, Why the Trials and the Temptations. The tough times in life bring out the best and the worst in everyone. It brings to the surface the dross of life. And yet it also brings to the surface... Some of the greatest characteristics. Many of us never even knew we were in there. Trials and temptations have been an amazing way of doing that. Of honing us as individuals. And potentially making us stronger. Jesus faced the trial. Right at the beginning of his ministry. In Mark 1 and verse 9 to 13 we read this. At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was there with the wild animals like leith <laughs> and angels attended him as you look in the other gospels matthew mark Luke, and john you get a fuller picture of what was happening here first it starts with jesus was being baptized i want to encourage you that's the example that jesus set. if you're a believer in jesus you need to get baptized what happened to you as a kid isn't baptism it's what happens as an adult once you've made a conscious decision to follow jesus you get baptized that's the bible way and then Jesus got baptized. And then he came up out of the water. And this, the heavens were open, and a dove, mighty symbol of the Holy Spirit, descended upon him, representing God's endorsement of his son. And then this voice from heaven came saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Great endorsement from heaven for all to hear. Here the next thing we see happening was this, that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to go into wilderness for 40 days. Then after that, as you read on, he came out and started his great ministry, which lasted three years. But in that wilderness, as you look in the other Gospels, you find that he was fasting and praying. 40 days fast. Pretty serious. I only know one person living today who's done that. Possible. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Everyone else I know who's tried it died. He Jesus fasted 40 days and succeeded. And in that time of temptation, the other Gospels talk about the temptations he faced. There were, there were three specific temptations that Satan brought his way, challenging him. And he came out ready for his public ministry. You know, I believe this is the exception, not the rule. I believe that if you're going to achieve great things in life, there's a preparation that needs to take place. Some of you think, I wish it would hurry up and finish. (laughs) But you know what? God's more interested in the production of character than the provision of comfort. He's interested in helping us reach our potential. And at the end of it all, having done what we were called to do. It's like those little eagles, nicely ensconced in that little eagle's nest, high up on those trees. They're in there. Inside of the nest is nicely lined with soft down and little twigs. And the little eagles are having a happy life up there. They open their mouth. And, and the mum fills it with salmon. And all sorts of delicacies. And they get worms on Tuesday. And a roast on Sunday. They have their, their life is just easy. They just go. And it drops. A little tidbit. One day, mother loses her marbles. She starts with that big beak. Pecking away that soft down around the inside of the nest. And pulling away those little twigs. The kids are thinking. Mum's lost it. Well, she, she she she's just lost it. She's lost the plot. She's not feeding us. What's going on? Their comfort zone has been removed. Eventually, she's like ripping the nest to bits where they're all standing. One little bit of nest is left. She's, she's removed the whole thing and the thing. That's I mean, she's just gone flippy completely. And then to top it all, she walks over and knocks you off the edge. And you think it can't be, but it is. And you're hurtling through the air, this little eagle thing, and I'm going to die. I'm just going to die right now. And you've seen the nest go further and further away from you. You you know the ground's getting closer and closer. But just before you hit the grounds, the mother eagle swoops down and catches you on her pinions and restores you back to the place up in the nest. And you think, that was close. You get your breath back. The mother eagle comes along again. and Off you go again. And you think, no! And you're off down. And it happens again. And she picks you up. And after a while you think, wait a minute, God's given me wings, and you stretch your wings, and you fly, and now you become an eagle that can have a laugh with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would do if I was an eagle. I said, more kids, let's do that again. <laughs> That's why eagles have such big families, they, just, they keep wanting to. You know that, that that whole process is what God wants to take us through. Taking us out of our comfort zone into the great place He wants us to reach our potential, to soar in life, to be the people that God wanted us to be. Not just getting our lives fed every time we open our mouths. Not just things that always handed to us in a plate, because then we don't grow. But the thing but actually taking responsibility and growing in life and developing character and becoming stronger on the inside. So that we can make a difference on the outside. That's what God wants for us. God's plan and purpose was that he led Jesus through a wilderness. And shocking, it says in verse 12 and 13, At once the Spirit sent him into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. Many times, challenging times, the trials and temptations are instigated, or should I say, you're led into them by God. Let me say, he's not the author of them necessarily. But he's the one who allows them to happen. He ain't the author of the sickness and the disaster and the suffering. That's not our God. But will he let us experience it? Will he even lead us to experience it? Yeah. Why? Because he's more interested in the production of character than he is necessarily in the provision of comfort. And God wants to do something so great in us. We've got to think beyond the here and the now. We've got to think bigger. Is God the author of these things? No, I don't believe that. James chapter 1 and verse 12 to 14 says this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you have been tempted, do not say God is the one tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from your own desires which entice us. And drag us away. So God ain't the author. Although he will allow us to face the challenge. How should you approach your tough time? Because we're going to face them. Maybe you're facing it just now. How do you face your tough time? This week I'm going to the gym with Fergus. Now Fergus. Anyone know Fergus here? Fergus is colossal. He's in the Edinburgh Gunners. He's a a professional rugby player. I feel slightly sorry for him. Going to the gym with me. To be honest. I don't want to give the guy showing up. And all his mates will be there. And we're going to have to stand beside each other. You know, there's going to come a point where people are going to think, Fergus, come on. You know what we're going to do when we get to that gym? And we're going to do some bench press. And what will happen is when we, when we get those weights, we're not just going to... The way you do bench press, you just get the weights and you say, oh, Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> okay. You know, that, that's not going to help you. That's that's been called being pinned down. All right? That's not, that's not going to... It's not going to develop any muscle in you. It's not going to do one. It's just going to make you feel stupid, right? So you imagine Ferguson. To, okay. Now, the way you get stronger is you push against it. Then you develop muscle. And when the challenge comes in your life, it's not there to say, "Oh, okay. No, it's, it's you push against it. And when you push against it, it develops some muscle in areas of character that you never knew you could develop such strengthen for the glory of God. This this process is described in Romans 5, 3 to 4. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. <clears throat> and perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And we see these characteristics and other characteristics developing in our life when we're facing the challenges. Our perseverance, our pushing against the challenge, makes us stronger on the inside. Just because God leads you into a situation, it doesn't mean he says, curl over and die. It means, come on, fight it. Stand against the challenge. Be stronger than it. By the grace of God, you can do it. You've got a good church around you. You've got friends around you. You have the Bible to encourage you. Call on me, I'll help you. And let's get through this. And you're going to come out stronger, prepared. Jesus, before going into his great ministry, that made such an impact in the world, just in three years, changed our worlds. He went through preparation. This is the rule, not the exception. For every one of us who was longing for God to do something through us, we've got to realize that God wants to take us on a journey. And we're going to face the trials and temptations, but we're going to come out on top by his grace are six trials and temptations we're going to face in this life. Trial of sickness. There was one guy in the Bible, Job, and you know, this isn't he didn't just like have the common flu. It's, everything went wrong with this guy. Completely everything went wrong with him. First his, all his kids died. Then all his animals died, and the little sheeps died, and even his little pet cat died everything dies right everything apart from his wife and to be honest you know if you read through the book <laughs> i think sometimes he wished that she had just died with the rest of them yeah suffering would have been slightly alleviated you know she she was she wasn't the best advisor during his rough time <laughs> i'm serious He might prayed for that job faced his challenge and then on top of all that he got really sick incredibly sick and he, he stinketh And his his flesh was opened up, and he was scratchy, and he was, oh, he was just a bundle of rubbish. And he was sitting in the dust uh, trying to find some alleviation to his constant pain and his agony he was in. Not just the emotional hurt of losing everything and still having his wife, but also the physical pain of his sickness. His sickness was horrendous. But you know what? God restored him. God healed him. God made him well. In fact, God didn't put the sickness on him in the first place. That was the devil. But God restored him. God healed him. I believe in a God who heals. Many people focus on Job and say, well, God gives you sickness. No, God doesn't give you sickness. You've got to face it. You're a human being. There's no point believing in healing if you don't realize there's sickness around. You know, the very fact you believe in healing tells me that you experience sickness. We believe in a God who heals and restores. This is the bit of Job I like, right? I don't like the other chapters before it, but this is the bit I like. Job 20, sorry, 42 and verse 12 to 17. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. I mean, tell you, that's like six Mercedes, three houses in Morningside. You know, this, this was life. And he gave him seven sons and three daughters and killed his wife. Nowhere in the lands... Where they found any woman as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, and he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. So he died old and full of years. You see, you can come out on top. You can get through this time. You can come out on top. And sickness isn't there to be like a bench press. Okay, okay. No, no, you fight against it with everything in you. You fight against it with everything in you. I remember growing up in in quite a religious church setting. And I remember people saying, you know, when someone got a terminal illness or something, well, God's given them this to teach them something. I think, what sort of warped idea of God do you have? Not seriously. I mean, would an earthly father do that to their child? Would that not be called child abuse? Yet we pin this stuff on God under the name of religion. I don't believe God does that. The same people who say, well, God's given me this to teach me this, the same people will head off to the doctor and try and get as much medication as they can as if, like, God doesn't notice. We'll try and get some medication. And when the religious front's on, well, God must be teaching me something through it. That's just inconsistency. Just be honest about it and say, please pray for me. Don't know why this happens. Pray that I get better. So, pray, pray, pray. Pray. Should I go to the doctor, Peter, if I'm a Christian? Go for it. Absolutely. You pray, and you get as much help as you can. Get exercise, change your diet, good stuff. Do whatever you can. Be proactive. Casey Tree is uh, a terrific preacher in Seattle. He's spoken a few times through in our Glasgow church now. Casey had lived as a drug addict in his late teens. He would become a Christian. He left that life and started Seattle Christian Faith Center. It's now got nearly 10,000 people there. It's a big church, making a big impact. But you know, Casey Treat, in the last couple of years, developed Hepatitis C. No, it didn't develop it. It rose to the fore. He'd actually been carrying it since his drug-using days in his late teens. So what he did was, he had this massive situation. And the doctor said, you've got 6% chance of recovery. So you know what he did? He prayed. He got others to pray for him. He got medication. He he went through a course of chemotherapy. He changed his diet. He got fit. He did everything he possibly could. He took supplements uh, to make sure his body was getting all the right stuff. He's now totally healed, back on track, healthy, not a trace of it. Miracle. But he did stuff too. And listen, when when he was talking about this experience he'd gone through, he shared this particular verse in the book of Proverbs. And I had never seen this verse before. And to be honest... It only reads this way in the Amplified Version. And the Amplified Version is a very accurate translation. is a full explanation of what the original text was meaning. So let's look at this verse. Listen to this. Proverbs 18 in verse 9. He who is loose and slack in his work is a brother to him who is a destroyer. And he who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is the brother to him who commits suicide. Wow. You ever read that verse before? That's a dramatic thought. In other words, you're as good as a friend of someone who commits suicide if you don't just do everything you possibly can to get yourself healthy and well. In other words, whatever it takes, go for it in prayer. Go, go and get prayer. Go in faith. Read the Bible. Listen to stuff on healing. Get as much medication as you can. Take tons of orange juice, vitamin C. That's what I've been doing this week. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Get yourself well. You're more used in this earth healthy than you are sick. You push against the weight. You don't succumb to it. You push against it. The second trial and temptation we face is the trial of temptation. Classic example of this I see in the Bible, second to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, is Joseph. And we find Joseph, he, like me, was an incredibly good-looking young man. He was a babe magnet. And here he was in... so that's Greek for he was good-looking. Okay? So, Hebrew, the Old Testament. Here he was... I can understand this. He, he was, he was, here he was in, in Potiphar's house. He was a slave. He was hard-working. He was good-looking. And Potiphar, one day, when he was out and about doing his official duties, Potiphar's wife was there alone... With Joseph, and she said, Come and sleep with me. You know, I said, No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin against God or against my master and do such a thing. But day after day, she kept bringing this temptation to him. Now, you're not going to tell me he wasn't a red blooded male. He probably had these thoughts racing around his head. But you know what? He resisted. One day, she grabbed him and said, Come and sleep with me. He bolted, he ran. So, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do. When you're under that pressure or temptation, just run, (sighs) just get out of there. In fact, don't even be in there in the first place. Just get out of there, and uh, resist that, push against that. And what will happen is this: God sees that. See, Joseph eventually, not many years later, became the prime minister of Egypt. He went from being a slave in a foreign land to being the prime minister of that land. Second only to Pharaoh. Isn't that incredible? What kind of qualifications do you reckon you need for that? I don't know, but let me tell you the qualifications that he had. God set him lots of tests. God set him lots of exams. And he passed them. He passed the test of temptation. And he overcame. And came out on top. So I want to encourage you. Overcome with the help of God. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 We read this, that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you may stand up under it. So see, when you face your temptation, look for the exit. Then bolt. There is always an exit in every temptation. There is always an exit. Even if it means, I'm going to phone my friend right now to help me. That's an exit. Even if it means physically an exit, run. That's fine. Don't kid yourself on. You're not strong enough. Yeah? We're all human. Whatever it is, there's always an exit. Look for that exit. And if up till now you've not done very well in that, then get someone alongside you to help you. Help them. Or be a help to someone else. Accountability is really important. Don't suffer alone. Let someone else know what you're going through. They won't reject you. They won't reject you. And let's be honest about things. Then we can get help. And overcome as we move forward. So the trial of temptation. The third trial I want to talk to you about is the trial of persecution. And I'm going to speak about a guy called Paul. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Now he faced this trial of persecution. He described it as a thorn in his flesh. Some people inaccurately believe the thorn in the flesh refers to sickness. It wasn't sickness. We're going to read in a moment the context of what he's saying. The thorn in the flesh relates to the the constant challenging he faced. The opposition of the Jewish people who wanted to stop him from telling everyone about Jesus. So here we find in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a short list of those things that he would categorize as the thorn in his flesh I tell you, you knew Paul's life. You read through the book of Acts, and you see it was one massive challenge after another. He went to one place, he preached the gospel, they stoned him almost to death. In one place he went and preached the gospel, and a whole mob lynched him, and there was a riot. It, it was a pretty rough ride he had. It wasn't plain sailing. And I want to say this persecution comes as a trial to pin you down. And it could have made Paul neutralise. It could have made him say, well, whew, I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore. <laughs> but Paul kept going. He pushed against it. And in that weakness, actually, he was stronger. That's what the Bible says. And you know what that persecution caused to happen? It caused him to be humble. Because Paul had so many great revelations in his head. He had so much great understanding. This thorn of flesh was there to keep him humble from boasting. So I want to say when the persecutions come, you're going to be humble. You're going to be thrown unto God. I want to say is you don't quit what you're doing. When the pressure's against you to quit, don't quit. Do the opposite. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Refuse to quit. Drop it from your vocabulary. Push against it. Keep going. You see, Paul, even in that persecution time, he was the greatest influencer in his day. They th- eventually threw him in dungeons and prisons, but do you know what? you would think that his influence would diminish. Actually, his influence increased. You and I today are reading his books that he wrote, and he wrote those from the dungeons and the prisons. If they hadn't thrown him in the dungeons and the prisons, he wouldn't have had time to do all the books that we see in the Bible written by the Apostle Paul. So actually, even when the persecution became so intense that he threw him in prison, it only worked for the good. It only resulted in more influence, more opportunity to make a difference. Isn't that great? That when you're pressing against the things that are seeking to pull you down, the very things that want to pull you down actually become the platform to help you be the person you were always meant to be in the first place. That's good news. Isn't that great how God can turn things around? Fourth is suffering through our own shortcomings. We all have shortcomings. We all make mistakes. We all do this thing called failure. Moses was one. He experienced a great life growing up in. Pharaoh's palace. He lived the life of Riley. He had everything he wanted. He had influence. He had respect. Archaeologists would say that it was Moses who was responsible for designing some of the most famous pyramids. That this guy Moses had a great life. But one day he sees an injustice taking place. He takes matters into his own hands. And he kills an Egyptian. Next thing he realizes He's in the run for his life, fleeing from Egypt, fleeing from this nice life that he's had. And he spends the next 40 years of his life in the backside of a wilderness. And that's how the Bible describes it. Here's a guy who sees injustice. Now, it's right to get upset about injustice. It's right to get upset about injustice. It's right to get moved about the things that God gets moved about. He kind of outworked it slightly wrong, yeah? Murdering someone that's just, slightly off track with what the Bible would advise you to do about injustice? You would agree? No? Some of you? Mm, hands up. Who thinks murdering is a good idea? Excellent. I won't say who it was at the back there. No, we would all agree with that guy. He went off track. His human nature took over. He started off with a good motive. His human nature kicked in, and it resulted in murder. And here he was, his own shortcomings are resulting in his persecution that he's experiencing now. He's suffering now. He's, he was in a good place, now he's in a bad place. He's in the backside of a wilderness looking after some sheep, and he's getting older and older. This guy with all this sense of promise, this guy with all this sense of purpose and destiny, now he's in the middle of nowhere. He's blaming himself probably every day for what he did to get him in that situation. But then God turns up to him in the burning bush and commissions him to go and make a difference. But you know what? He's speaking to a whole different man now. He's not speaking to a cocky 40-year-old who thinks, I can do this. He's now speaking to a a broken 80-year-old who's incredibly humble. And God takes that humble 80-year-old and uses him to lead 2 million people out of slavery and injustice in Egypt, taking them on to their promised land. I want to say... Your own shortcomings can just knock you for six. Now, that's a big mistake. It doesn't justify what we do. But you know what? The good thing is God can turn it around. And the suffering you've experienced because of your own shortcomings, God can turn it around. It can result in humility in your life. And now your character is stronger than before. Even the thing you shouldn't have done is worked to your advantage. Isn't that incredible? When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home and how he had to start work as a seven-year-old. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have any education, so he couldn't go. Age 23, he went into debt to be a partner of a small store. Three years later, his business partner died, leaving him to carry the entire debt. It took years to repay. Age 28, after courting a girl for four years asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. Twice he failed to be elected to Congress. Eventually, on his third try, he was elected to Congress at the age 37. But then he failed to be re-elected. His son died when he was only four years of age. When he was a man, age 45, he ran for Senate and lost. Age 47, he ran for vice presidency and lost. But age 51, Abraham Lincoln was elected as the president of the United States. Big guy made a big difference. But tons of failures led to success. And you're going to fail, and you're going to fail, and you're going to have tons of shortcomings, you're going to blow it, but every time you're going to get wiser. Every time, someone once said that failure is the opportunity to start again more wisely. And I want to say that failure is never a person, it's only an event. So what you've got to do is you've got to Be humble, fix your eyes on God. Keep the right attitude and you can come through this trial on top. Fifth trial is suffering rejection from others. Joseph, again, he faced this. A young man in a wealthy Jewish home. Having all his needs provided for. Large family, livestock. Everything that life could offer in those days. Then one day his brothers turned against him. It was just an ordinary day. He wasn't expecting it. Out of the blue, they turned against him. They were about to murder him. But they relented, deciding instead to sell him as a mere slave to some passers-by. They sold him as a slave. The passers-by took him to Egypt. They sold him in the slave market to a man called Potiphar. And we heard about that earlier. But Joseph experienced massive rejection That's a suffering. Now many people are suffering their entire lives because of the rejection they faced from those who were nearest and dearest. How on earth do you overcome that? How on earth do you overcome that when someone who should have known better treated you the way they did? How on earth do you overcome that? That sense of rejection. You can no longer be part of that family. But that's the family where your heart is. Now you're banned from it. How do you deal with that rejection? This thing called forgiveness. Now Joseph had to forgive. We know he did forgive because when he became prime minister in Egypt, his brothers eventually came before him in a famine, asking for food. They didn't recognize him, but he didn't abuse his power. He demonstrated the forgiveness, not just in words, but in actions. He gave them food. He actually gave them land. He provided for them. And demonstrated that they were forgiven. When his first son was born. He called him Manasseh. Which means the Lord has caused me to forget. Isn't that amazing? That you've not just got to the point where you've forgiven. But you've actually now. I'm not going to remember that anymore. That's called putting your past behind you. That's called leaving things now. That's called not digging up the stuff. And reminding people of it. Joseph didn't do that. He could have easily have said. Let me remind you what you guys did to me. He didn't do that. He let it go he moved on. That's why he became such a great success. You see, the rejection will come and that may cause suffering, but the very thing that caused Joseph that suffering, actually that rejection was the very thing that pushed him as he worked it with the right attitudes into the greatest place in Egypt. The very thing that was there to pull you down could help you to rise to the place where you're always meant to be. So I want to encourage you, change your attitudes towards God's in your suffering when you're facing rejection you're going to be asking questions like are you still there god because sometimes you think he's rejected me too that's it god's gone off-ski. he's washed his hands of me everyone else has rejected me i'm a worthless so-and-so god's rejected me too sometimes that's the argument that goes on in our head some of you have given that argument too much liberty. you know when jesus was in his trial Way back in the wilderness, we're not going to read it for time's sake, we find as you read through the trial, what was the last thing Jesus heard after his baptism, before he went into the desert? What was the last thing he heard? Do you need a towel, my son? Is that that what it was? Do you need a towel? No. bit wet? Or what was it? High down there? Hey, what was it he heard from heaven? You are my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. This is ringing in his ears. The acceptance of the Father. Now he faces the trial. He's in the temptation as we read in other gospels. Satan comes and tempts him. And what does he tempt him with? If you are the Son of God. Say this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God. Throw yourself off. If, if, if. Bring into question that very identity, that very assurance, that very acceptance. And you know, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. If you face rejection in your past, and you're going through a tough time just now, you're going to be wondering, has God rejected me? And I want to say to you, Satan will be telling you, has God rejected you? Everything will be whispering on ear. In fact, you know what Satan did? Satan even got the Bible out. Yeah? Satan knows the Bible. You know that? The devil knows the Bible. He uses the King James version. (laughs) You know, the devil knows the Bible. He can misquote the Bible. And you know what you're going to do, especially if you're a serious-minded Christian? When you're going through your weak time, when you're going through your trial, your mind's going to find the verses that tell you, like, you're going to find the unforgivable sin verse, right? You can look at all the other verses around it, but your eyes will, there's there. That's why. There is there. That's why I'm going through this trial. Your mind will look for the negative like a homing beacon. And Satan will do his best to remind you of those verses and say, "Uh uh-huh, that's you. It's not. Just because you're going through the tough time, don't misinterpret God's love for you. He hasn't rejected you. He hasn't gone anywhere. That's what Satan did at the beginning with Adam and Eve. You remember when Satan tempted Eve? He says, did God really say? And then... Eve said, yeah, no, we shouldn't touch the fruit. Satan went on to say, God's only saying that because he doesn't want you to become like him. In other words, what was Satan doing? God hasn't got your best interests at heart. God doesn't care for you. He brings into question your entire relationship with this heavenly father. And I want to say, folks, especially when you're in that tough time in life, that's the time when you absolutely need to know, absolutely, rock solid, he hasn't gone anywhere You're accepted in heaven, and that will help you face with courage your challenge on earth. Number six, finally, suffering while in pursuit of justice. William Wilberforce in the 18th century, what a guy. In the 18th century, there was so much slavery and abuse taking place. He decides, as a Christian, to take a stand against it. In this so-called Christian democracy of a country where probably most of the politicians he was speaking to had their own slaves from Africa. How we treated the Africans was abhorrent. No human being deserves to be treated that way. Every human being deserves dignity, a good house, a good job, and equal rights. Amen? Oh, I wish I'd been born Martin Luther King. Or at least I wish I could keep the sexy husk in my voice. God heal me of this cold, but let me keep the sexy husk. (laughs) William Wilberforce stood against that injustice of his day. He was standing against this whole political arena that had for so long held on to slavery. And it was part of the economy of Britain. And William Wilberforce was saying, it's wrong, we should abolish it. Year after year, he brought this bill before Parliament. Year after year, it was rejected. He would get back up with perseverance, pushing against that bar. It wasn't like he was doing something wrong; he was doing something right. But when, even when you do something right, in fact, especially when you do something right, if you're serious about making a difference for good on this earth, you're not going to be thanked for it. We will, God will, but many people won't. You'll be loggerheads with people who have got commerce as their main agenda in life. You'll be log with the sinful human nature within every human being. You will not get thanked for doing good, but it's worthwhile doing it anyway. William Wilberforce, year after year, pushed against the bar, fought against the system. After 18 years, he succeeded. Slave labor was legally abolished in the 18th century. Four months later, William Wilberforce died. That's good. He's mission accomplished. Go and chill out now. Tough times don't last, but you know what? Tough people do. Dale Carnegie, the great author of How to Win Friends and Influence People, said this Most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. I want to speak to all quitters today and say stop, don't quit. You see when the pressure's on whether it be through the challenge of taking on injustice or whether it be through any of other of these trials or temptations you're facing just now that I urge you don't quit in your faith don't quit in your church don't quit in your job stay on track don't quit when the pressure's on and you see that's the wrong time to make a decision that's the wrong time to make a decision you're not thinking straight you're making a reaction rather than a response And you live to regret things like that. So stay on track. Focus on the purpose. And keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep walking through. And you're going to come through on top. So it's the wrong time to make a decision when the pressure's on. Stop quitting. Stay the course. Ephesians 6 and verse 13 says this. Therefore put on the whole armor of God's. So that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your grounds. And after you have done everything, to stand. It's like the Bible says, Stand your grounds. And then you've done that, right? Okay, Paul, what to do now? Stand. Okay. For how long? You just keep standing. Don't budge. Stand standing when the pressures against you is building mu- muscle is building character standing in a marriage when it's tough builds character standing in a in a job situation when you're not popular builds character it won't always be that way but for now it's like eating those greens You know, being in a situation where it's uncomfortable, that doesn't mean it's bad. It might be the best thing for you right now. You need a bit of discomfort. That standing, folks, that builds character. It's not character to quit. That's not good character just to jump ship every time the pressure's on. Face the challenge. Face the relationship issues. Face the falling out. Face the sin. Face the pressure. Why is it everywhere I go, I see the same problems? People have these problems. No, no. The most light, likelihood is you're the problem. Because everywhere you go, the problem goes. That's a surprise, isn't it? So why not just not go around anywhere? Why not stop jumping from church to church and finding that it's the same problem with this church? No, it's you, right? Just stands. Just stay here. This is the best church. I don't mean that. Stand here. Just don't budge. And let God develop some character in you. And address the stuff that might be in your life. Not the stuff that's in them. You can't change them. But allow God to change you. Why trials and tribulations? Well, because God's interest is more than just our comfort. God's wanting to help us to reach our potentials. Move forward. In Luke 4 and verse 1 and verse 14 we find the Bible describing the beginning and the end of Jesus' trial. At the beginning of Jesus' trial, it says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. The beginning. The end of Jesus' trial, it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. He went in to the wilderness full of the Spirit. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. I want to say when you go through your wilderness, when you go through your trial and temptation, if you keep the right attitudes towards God and others, you will go through and out of your trial with bigger character, bigger spiritual muscle, bigger capacity for God to do great things through you than ever before and bigger anointing of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life and that's worth it the greatest trial that ever took place or ever will take place on this planet was three years after that moment where Jesus went through three illegal trials someone who was close to him betrayed him he was flogged they mocked him They stripped him naked, they put a robe on him, a crown of thorns on his head with large thorns and then beat it into his head. They pulled his beard from his face. No one's gone through a trial or suffering like this, not one. They whipped his back so it was raw. Most likely you could see the the innards. And Jesus was led with a, a rough cross against his back to a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, outside of the town of Jerusalem. There he was pinned to a tree. And there they continued to hurl the abuse at him and the rejection. He hadn't done anything to warrant this. He'd healed their sick. He'd inspired them. He'd motivated this generation like no one else ever had, and he's motivated the world ever since. They couldn't find one crime... He was literally squeaky clean. Yeah, he went through that. And not only his physical suffering was so intense. Now, you and I have probably seen that in the film The Passion. What was going on in his soul, in his inner person? I want to say that what was going on in the inside was so much greater than what was going on physically. The agony of what he was carrying, the sin of the world. Was laid upon him. And in one moment. In all eternity. Jesus cried father. Why have you forsaken me? This union that had been there. From the creation of the world. The father the son and the spirit. Now the father and the son were separated. In one incredible moment. Where the sin of the world. were your rottenness and my rottenness. And our filthiness and our adulteries. And our perversions. And our gossiping. And our double-tonguedness and our insolence and our blasphemies and our thefts and our murderous thoughts and our attitudes and our bitchinesses and our constant wrong motivations were placed on the Son of God. And he experienced the full wrath of God his Father poured out on the sin of the world, on your sin and my sin. He went through suffering and trial like no one else has been through. And you know what? No one ever needs to go through again. He took the sin of the world on himself. Why? I'll tell you why. Because there's a God in heaven who's got one colossal amount of love for you. And because your sin deserved that punishment. He just didn't want to put it on you. So he put it on Jesus instead. And today, little old you and little old me can experience forgiveness. He took hell so you can experience heaven for free. By accepting what he did for you. By accepting that he suffered on your behalf by saying thank you for that, by being willing to turn your life around to follow God as you rightly should. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We admire you for the price that you paid in the cross. We thank you it didn't end there. We thank you that on the third day you rose again victorious. And Jesus, we believe the Bible teaches that today you are in heaven. You're seated at the right hand of God. You still carry those scars. And we thank you that your blood still can cleanse the filthiest sinner. Lord, I want to thank you today that this bunch of sinners, including myself, can experience complete forgiveness. God, we all face trials and challenges. I pray, God, if anyone's facing trials and challenges just now, they'll push against them with everything within it. Within them, God, they will push against it. And God, by your power, you'll develop great character. And perseverance in this precious bunch of people. God, I pray, Father, for anyone today who doesn't have an authentic relationship with you. They haven't come to the point in life where they've said, Thank you, Jesus. I accept your sacrifice for me. Thank you, God. When someone does that, there's a forgiveness that takes place that's eternal. There's an eternal acceptance that takes place. There's a permanent change. I pray for anyone today, God, in this room who hasn't yet made that decision to follow Jesus, made that step of faith to accept your sacrifice on their behalf. Give them the courage today to do that, Lord. If you haven't yet accepted what Jesus did for you, if you haven't yet asked him personally, for that forgiveness that he paid such a high price to make available to you today if you know in your heart I'm not talking about whether you've been religious whether you've been a church goer it counts for nothing what counts is this have you accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross do you believe that he rose from the dead and how is it affecting your life today that's what's all important And if today you want to take that step of faith, then I'm going to do something very simple. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's it's a prayer of response to Jesus. And if you want to make that personal commitment to Jesus, then you pray this prayer with me just now. Under your breath, pray it between you and God. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me so much. You sent your only son. And you knew full well that you would have to suffer. Like no human being should. Or ever has. Jesus, thank you you were willing to do that for me. Thank you for taking my sin. And paying the price for it. Right now, I ask you to forgive me and give me a new start now. I choose to leave my sinful ways and instead to follow you, Jesus, to the best of my ability. Jesus, I believe you're risen from the dead. I make you Lord of my life right now. I make you my boss. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me. In Jesus' name, Amen.